Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that, have, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Amen. Thank you, Sam. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father, we now open your word. We open your word because we believe it is true. We open your word because we believe that in it you speak to your people. We open your word because we believe that in it you lead us toward yourself and in your ways. Lord, we long to trust you, to obey you, to seek after you, to walk with you on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, this is our desire, and yet we confess our hearts are wayward. Our loves are misguided, and we need your help. So, Lord, today, would you speak your truth to your people through your word and stir us to walk with you? Not only to walk with you, but to walk with you in such a way that we joyfully tell of your greatness as we go. We joyfully tell of your goodness as we go. Help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's so good to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bible and turn to Psalm 78. Here at Redeemer this summer, we have been studying the Psalms. And today, we're actually looking at the entire Psalm, which is four pages in my Bible. And Dan pleaded with me to not make the Scripture reader read all 78 verses and I relented just a few hours ago. So Sam, you are welcome. We are confident that you would have done well, but you would still be going right now. Okay. Um, Psalm 78, in some ways... Oh, sorry, let me go backward. So next week, we'll begin a new sermon series working through the book of Matthew. So those of you that... I'd um, love to plan ahead. I've given you now seven days. Book of Matthew. You're welcome. Um, if you order it today, your one book scripture journal should arrive by next Saturday. There you go. Um, in Psalm 78, what we have is a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. And here's what it says. Don't assume 
that everyone who sees the hand of the Lord at work will continue to walk with the Lord. It says, don't assume that just because you've seen the Lord and walked with the Lord, that the faith will automatically be dispensed to the next generation. And it says, don't forget the power of telling of God's greatness. Don't forget the power of remembering who you are because you belong to the Lord. So the psalm begins with an exhortation. It reads like a sermon. That's verses one through eight. And then it ends with a retelling of Israel's failure and faithlessness. It's like being reminded of your worst day again and again and again and again. 70 verses of it, or 60 verses of it. Why? Why? Because the failure shouts that God will not bless his people's faithlessness. And the failure shouts that God will be faithful to his people in spite of their faithlessness. So retelling the failure is a motive to remember God's faithfulness and God's goodness. So we're going to take them in reverse. First point this morning, past failure, past failure. If you're like me, we approach failure like this. That was bad. I'm glad that's over. Let's forget that it happened. Right? Or is that just me? You're with me? What Psalm 78 says is, church, people of God, gathering, listen to me, we're going to recount in meticulous detail the failings of Israel so that you can understand what was going on through those failings so that you don't repeat those failings. That's what's going on in this section. So why repeat the failings? It's for us in verse 8. That they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. So the psalmist is saying, we're going to tell of all this because we don't want this generation and the coming generation to be like the previous ones because the previous ones were stubborn and rebellious, not steadfast and unfaithful. So 
So the psalmist says, I'm going to tell of the failings for the faithfulness of the coming generations. A few years ago, my wife and I were in um, Berlin, Germany. And if you've never been there, it's a great place. Um, But they've spent a lot of money memorializing and telling of the Holocaust. Which you would think, like, we shouldn't be proud of this. And they're not. But as you enter the main Holocaust memorial, right above the doorway is a sign that says, the best way to prevent the Holocaust from happening again is to tell of the atrocities. I actually think it says it the other way. The fastest way to allow it to happen again is to pretend like it never happened. Now, we don't take our cues from Germany. We take our cues from the word, but where they're correct, let's remember, the psalmist is saying, let's tell of these failings so that we don't walk in their ways. Now, what you have is, in verses 9 through 11, a summary of these failings. And then in verses 12 through 41, you have examples of failings during the wilderness period. That's, so by the way, you guys that love linear history, this psalm is not for you, okay? It is not a linear history. But you have, you have tellings of Israel's failings to be faithful in the wilderness, meaning that period after God had set them free from Egypt before they got to the promised land. Then in verses 42 through 53, you have examples of Israel's unfaithfulness in the Exodus story. Days and weeks and months after the events. And then in verses 54 through 64, you have examples of Israel's unfaithfulness during the conquest and the taking of the promised land. But in all of those there's a theme. And we can get the theme from looking at verses 9 through 11. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he Shown them. Now, you don't have to get out your chain reference Bible and go figure out exactly what event in the Old Testament is being talked about here to get the point. The point is this the Ephraimites, both spiritually in the promise of the Lord and physically armed with the bow, had everything they needed for the day of battle, but they disobeyed the Lord and turned back, refusing to walk according to his law. They disobeyed the Lord. Why? Verse 11, this is the declaration of Psalm 78. They forgot God's works and the wonders that he had shown them. They forgot God's works and the wonders that he had shown them. 
the psalm is positing the reality that forgetting God, forgetting his work, forgetting what he's done results in turning away, which then implies that remembering and telling and clinging are a way to promote walking with the Lord. And then verses 12, all the way through 66, flow just like this. The people were walking with the Lord. They forgot his works. They turned away. They were walking with the Lord. They forgot his works. They turned away. They were walking with the Lord. They forgot his works. They turned away. And then the Lord would judge them. They would repent and the blessing would return. The Lord would judge them. They would repent and the blessing would return. We see this in verses 32 through 34. So he's detailed all the things God has done. And then we come to verse 32. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. Now, don't read this as God didn't get his way, so God got mad and God got his way. Don't read it that way. Read it like this. The Lord's not going to bless his people in their rebellion. And the only way the people would remember the Lord was when the blessing was removed. And when the people walked with the Lord, they walked in his blessing. So we have great detail of this. Number one, the Lord will not bless his people in their rebellion. And number two, even in rebellion and temporary judgment, God is faithful to his promises. Even in the rebellion of his people and in his temporary judgment, God does not give up on his promises to his people. Because if he did... This psalm could have been about 15 verses and be done. The reason there's a pattern, the reason there's reciprocity, the reason it moves and moves and moves and moves is because the people are sinful and they forget and they walk away. And the Lord won't bless that. So he removes the blessing and then the people go, oh, wait, we might need the Lord. But he only gave the blessing back because he's faithful to his word and his promises and his people. So don't read this as Israel moving in and out of being the people of God. They are not. They are God's people on God's 
path, moving in God's way, under God's power, and yet he will not bless their day-to-day experience when they are living in rebellion against him. So, the psalmist says, we're going to tell of these failings. And the purpose of telling is for the next generation to say, we don't desire to repeat the pattern. We don't desire to repeat the pattern. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because some of y'all's parents might be here, like my kids. But um, how many of you have looked at your family history and said, don't desire to repeat the pattern? Anybody? Yeah. Is that easy? No. With the Lord's help, by the Lord's power, is that possible? Yeah. So this psalm is doing this for a whole people. It's doing it for the whole people of God. We are the descendants of an unfaithful people who belong to a faithful God Let's not repeat the pattern of unfaithfulness. Let's not repeat the pattern of unfaithfulness. So, a few points of application here. Number one, the purpose of God's blessing and the purpose of God's calling is so the people of God will walk with the Lord on his ways. The Lord has redeemed us, called us, blessed us, and made himself known to us, not so we can forget him and pretend like he doesn't exist, but so that we would walk in his ways. Number two. God is faithful to his people in spite of their faithlessness. Meaning, God will keep his promises to his people always. This is the hope that we cling to. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what is revealed to us in Christ. God took away our sin. God called us his own. God placed his spirit in us. If we're his, we are his, and that will not change. Number three, even as his, our turning away and our turning back and our disobedience will not be blessed by the Lord. Now, you could mishear that as the Lord will never bless us because we've been disobedient. Don't hear that. Don't hear that. What we need to hear is our active disobedience will not be blessed by the Lord. He will move and posture to convict us and draw us back to himself. Fourth, in a fallen world, faithfulness to God is not the default position. In a fallen world, faithfulness to God is not 
the default position. Now, theologically, we're like, well, of course, because we're depraved and the world's fallen. And yet, somebody comes out of 45 years of living in rebellion to the Lord, hears the gospel, believes, repents, we baptize them, we throw a party, and you know what we assume? Next week, they're going to be just like me. They're not. They're going to need help and teaching and love and compassion and guidance and mercy and showing faithfulness to the Lord is not the default position. And friends, if we can just accept that it's not the default position, that'll change how we respond to the first half of this psalm. Number five. In a fallen world, the transmission of the gospel from generation to generation is not to be assumed. In a fallen world, the transmission of faithfulness to God from one generation to the next is not to be assumed. Now, I didn't say it's not to be hoped for. I didn't say it's not to be prayed for. I didn't say that we can't that the Lord's not eager to do it. I'm just simply saying that we can't assume that because I love Jesus and my wife loves Jesus and we go to church every week and we make our kids come every week that they're going to walk in his ways. And somewhere along the way, we took train up a child in the way he should go and from it he will not depart to mean that faithfulness of our children can be assumed. And that's just not If it can't be assumed, if it can't be assumed, then that means we have to pray for and labor for it. Number six, there is a risk to being blessed. The risk is forgetting the Lord who gives the blessing. There's a risk to walking through a season of immense blessing, and the risk is forgetting the Lord who gives the blessing. Anybody have something really good happen this week? No? Terrible week. Okay, got it. But seriously, something good happened this week? Who gave that to you? The Lord. Why? Because he loves you. Why else? So that you would delight in him and be satisfied in him. And what we do is we're like children on Christmas Day. We run down, we get the present, we open it, we say thank you, and then we run back to our room and act like the giver doesn't exist. The risk of immense blessing is forgetting the Lord who gives the blessing so that we'll walk with him on his So I guess, friends, we have two options. Choose immense hardship or learn to remember the Lord in the path of great blessing. So what are we supposed to do with all this? What we're supposed to do with it is seek the Lord and encourage others to do the same. So that pushes us to the second point, seeking faithfulness. This psalm begins like a sermon. 
Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I mean, he, the psalmist is saying, come close, listen, focus. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. I'm going to tell the bad stuff. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So you see verse 4 there? We'll tell what God's done and we'll tell about the unfaithfulness of their fathers. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children. So the, the Lord gave his word and his law. Why? For the fathers and for the fathers to teach to their children. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Do you, look at what's going on here. When he says fathers here, he's not talking about the, the husband of a wife. He's talking about the fathers of the faith who went before. I'm all about fathers leading the home, I'm not trying to undo that. Let's just not read that into a text where that's not where the text is saying it, okay? And he says, the Lord gave his word and his law to the fathers so that the next generation would know the Lord and so that that generation would teach the next generation to know the Lord. You see what's going on here? The Lord intends this faith of his people to go forward generation after generation as each generation tells the next one of God's goodness and mercy and redemption. The Lord desires that generation after generation would set their hope in him, would know his ways, and would remember his works and remember his commandments. This is what the Lord desires, and this is how God has ordained the faith to go forward. A people who hope in God, who tell of his works to the next generation. So the next generation will hope in God, and they will tell of his works to the next generation. And on and on and on and on it goes. This is the vision of Psalm 78. Do you possess the faith? Do you know the Lord? Then one of the purposes of the Lord would be for you to remember him. And as you remember him, tell of him to the next generation so the next generation will know him. And they will, will grow to know him and love him and tell of him such that the faith will go on and on and on and on. Okay, so what do we do with this? Number one. The faith moves forward through teaching and telling of who God is 
and what God has done. There is a direct connection between remembering and believing. There's a direct connection between remembering and believing and obeying. And this psalm says, keep remembering, keep telling, keep remembering, keep telling. Let the faith go forward. Let the faith go forward. Let the faith go forward. Number two. When the passage talks about generations, it's appropriate to think of our homes. It's appropriate to think of generations within a household. If you have children, there's a generation that the Lord is calling upon you to tell of and pass forward the stories of who God is and what God has done. Number three, it would be wrong to think of this passage only within the home. Within the church, there are generations. There are children. There are the next generation who need to know of the greatness of God. Psalm 78 is true and good and right for us, even if we're single, even if we're married, but we don't have kids, and even if we're empty nesters. This reality of the faith going forward to the generations is upon us all and is for us all. Actually, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul pushes this idea forward without even speaking of the home. He says, you then, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be also be able to teach others. This idea of generations, yes, it's in the home, but yes, it extends far beyond the home, and we all get to participate in this idea of the next generation knowing God and knowing God's faithfulness. What number am I on? Four? Four, thank you. One person's taking notes. When you think of the church, think of generations. When you think of the church, think of generations. This is the kind of church I'm praying for. What if you're 46 and you meet a 50-year-old who's just heard of the Lord? You're physically younger, but that's the generations for you. What if you're 19, a little too confident in yourself, and yet filled with the Spirit? Look around. Anybody who needs some guidance from the Lord, that's generations. Let's be the people that see the faith moving through the generations. What we're praying for around here is a church filled with people who don't know the Lord, a church filled with people who don't have a history with the Lord. That's the work of the generations. Be a part of it. 
What we're praying for is is families that are broken flooding through these doors. So you got kids in classes who have moms and dads who know nothing about the Lord. Good. That's generations. Let's pass it on. What if you just have an obstinate set of parents that won't invest the faith in their kids or they're too busy or they're too whatever? We have one another. Those are generations. So let's think of a church filled with generations, next generations, and it's the Lord's desire that these generations would set their hope in God, would not forget his works, and would keep his So I'm asking you, if you have nuclear family, take Psalm 78 into your nuclear family. Faith to generations. If you don't have nuclear family, don't disengage. Don't feel left out. But understand that the New Testament broadens this understanding of the faith going forward, not just from a mom and a dad to a child of Jewish descent, but to the nations and to all the peoples of the earth. And let's lean into this broader sense of generations and say, let's be a people who long to see the faith passed on to a generation, who will pass it on to a generation, who will pass it on to a generation. Psalm 78, Deuteronomy 6, 2 Timothy 2. Everywhere these passages show up, there are three generations in mind. There's always three. And it's never a static passing, like I gave it to you and we're done. But it's always flowing like a stream. You've received so that it would flow through you, so that it would flow through you so that it would flow through you. So let me connect a couple dots about Redeemer, and then we'll be done. What we're doing this morning, a worship gathering, done rightly, is a people telling one another again and again the shaping story of who God is and what God has done for us because We believe that remembering pushes us to continue believing, which pushes us to continue walking with the Lord on his path of righteousness for his name's sake. So let's gather, let's sing, let's worship, let's tell, let's push, let's prod, let's encourage. Next, small group done right is telling and reminding of God and his faithfulness to encourage our believing and encourage our ongoing faithfulness to the Lord. And finally, and this is time sensitive on purpose. We're often asked here at Redeemer why we still have Sunday school. I mean, that's old school stuff right there. I mean, Sunday school died in like 1986. And here we are. 
Right? The, the sign out front doesn't even say Baptist, but there's nothing more Baptist than Sunday school. Well, it's still called Sunday school because no matter what we change the name to, you Baptists still call it Sunday school. That's not my fault. Just like this, every year in small group training, we say, you can have your small group any day of the week, any time of day, as long as your group will come. Do you know what time every small group is? Wednesday night at 6.30, Sunday night at 6 o'clock. That's not our fault. That's your fault. So we still have this ministry with an antiquated name because kids and youth and adults need to get in a room with kids or youth or adults and intentionally have the faith poured into them by faithful followers of Jesus again and again and again. And next Sunday is Promotion Sunday, which means we commit to another year of doing this together. And so, yeah, you might sit in a room and rock screaming babies and change diapers while you pray God's promises over them, but you're investing in a generation that'll become the next generation who then gives it off to the next generation. And you might be in middle school and tell boys to be quiet 7,000 times in one hour. But we're doing that because the fact that you didn't rip their heads off and scream, I hate you at them, is a testimony to the grace of God at work in you. And over time, they will hear and receive the word. Now, all the middle school teachers are cackling right now because they know it's true, and the rest of you just think we're hateful. <laughs> but you're wrong. <laughs> and LJ's back there going, I'm never going to get a middle school teacher again. The point is this. Ministry to kids and youth takes a lot of work, a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of planning. And a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of patience. But you know why it's worthwhile? Because God's vision of his faith going forward is a generation giving off to a generation who gives off to a generation who gives off to a generation. And so what I want you to take away from this passage today, I love the vision of one through eight, but I actually want you to take away nine through 62, nine through 66. And remember that the passing of the faith forward is not to be assumed. It's to be prayed for and labored for. And I speak as a parent of three teenagers when I say definitively, my wife and I need your help. We know the calling of the Lord. Help. Help us. And that's what ministries within the church, thinking of generations, do is we help. 
and we encourage and we pray. And y'all can just make us feel bad, but I know you're with us when you say, help, help. Now let's notice how the psalm ends. It ends on God's faithfulness. And it ends in hope. Verse 67. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. That ties back to verses 9 through 11. But he chose the tribe of Judah. Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Let me piece something together for you. Most scholars believe this psalm was written early in the days of Solomon. Early in in the life of David's son, Solomon. So what's the psalmist doing? He's saying, you're walking in the blessing. The Lord's established the kingdom. He's established his son. He's established the king. You're walking in the blessing The temple is in Zion. So give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. Friends, verses one through eight were spoken into this great blessing saying, walk in it with the Lord for his glory. Walk in it. But I'm pleading with you, friends, people of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, gathered as the body. Let's walk in the blessing with the Lord for his glory and telling of his greatness again and again and again. 